0: Do you think that if you were falling in space that you would slow down after a while or go faster and faster? Faster and faster.
1: And for a long time you wouldn't feel anything. And then you'd burst into fire. the angels wouldn't help you, because they've all gone away.
0: Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch from the Idle Thumbs Network. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. This week, we're discussing the film Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. This is, uh, to date anyway, the last piece of Twin Peaks screen content that has been released. Um, it's a standalone film that came out after the series ended. It was, uh, well, you, you tell us, I guess. Oh, I'll tell you.
1: Cause I've got Wikipedia open. Yeah. <laughs> um, it premiered at the Cannes con. However we want to pronounce that, whatever film festival in France in May of 92. And then it opened almost immediately after that, actually in just late summer of 92 in France and the United States. So I guess it had been a year about since Twin Peaks was off the air. Not even
0: that long. Yeah. Um, it, this, this was the first of, I think, three films Lynch planned to make based on Twin Peaks. But this one was so poorly received, I suppose, both critically and commercially, that that just didn't happen.
1: Yeah, if you look in the Firewalk With Me forum thread on the Twin Peaks Rewatch forums, if you go to TwinPeaksRewatch.com and hit the forums link at the top, there's actually some discussion about that some people unearthed. Some interviews. Well, this So before we get too into that, I guess, this was directed by David Lynch, and it was written by David Lynch and Robert Engels. Um, I think we've alluded to the the sort of surprise of that in the past because we've yeah. talked about sort of Peyton and Engels being the, the showrunners on the show for a while. Um, what I've sort of, I guess, gleaned from reading the forums and from listening to stuff people have said who know more about Twin Peaks than us, when it comes to Peyton and Engels as a crew, I think... That I get the impression that um, that Engels was closer to Lynch's sensibility, and Payton mm-hmm. was closer to Mark Frost's sensibility, and okay. I think that's why Lynch asked him to work on this. And I think Lynch did some other small collaborations with this guy on some of their other TV projects yeah. and stuff right around this time. Mark Frost was not involved in this <laughs> film at all, um, and that again, I've I, what I've gathered from reading a little cursory amount is that he. One was already working on his own feature project at this time, and two just i guess wasn't that into this what Lynch wanted to do for this movie, so he said, "Okay you got this it's fine, um, but he was yeah. also I think in production on some other completely separate project of his own when this right. was going on
0: yeah he was um, he was making a political thriller okay yeah um yeah, <clears throat> twin Peaks firewalk with me <laughs> all right so yeah what, what was your what i mean we'd both seen this movie before, obviously, but w- yeah. w- what is your what was your overall impression of this film I guess Watching it this time now, having this rewatched was, the whole thing. this was series. my
1: favorite viewing of Firewalk with Me by a large amount. Although I've I've liked it since I first watched it, I actually I think Firewalk with Me might have been almost the first Twin Peaks thing that I saw. My really, like, yeah, I, wow, that's interesting. I, I'd seen a few episodes of the show first, but like my sort of onboarding into Twin Peaks, thinking all the way back to it was just kind of a disaster because I saw the European pilot. I saw Fire Walk with me. Like, I saw all this just sort of of out-of-order insanity before Mm -hmm. I ever was able to really watch the show all the way through. Like, I think I I really got into it when I had access to, like, bootlegs of the first season on VHS and the European pilot. So, I never really... Like, so I had an ambient knowledge of all these weird aspects of Twin Peaks. Like, I always have kind of known who the killer is. I've known about Mike Mm -hmm. and Bob and all these things. But... Um finally watching through all of Twin Peaks in really tight succession and then watching Firewalk with Me was a a, a good experience. But also just I think Firewalk with Me is a really interesting good movie regardless. So I'm you know, Firewalk with Me gets a lot of people who don't like it. Like the movie just was basically crapped on when it debuted and right. stuff, but like I've always kind of liked Bood it. Economy. Yeah, it was booed.
0: <laughs> Um, so you say you think it's an interesting, good movie regardless. Do you think that even outside of the context of Twin Peaks? I mean, when you saw it, not having seen... That much, is that is hard to know. Yeah. It's it's interesting because when I... When I kind of suspect it wouldn't be.
1: I, I don't think it would either. But when I... It's funny because when I first... When I first... I've, I think I've actually seen Fire Walk With Me three times through. The first time that I saw it, I was transfixed by all the Agent Desmond stuff because I don't think that I had really seen a lot of Twin Peaks. Oh, so yeah. just like this strange FBI agent and his partner investigating this kind of nonsensical lynchy and stuff and then it just ending in a right. weird way. I was like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. And then the second time that I watched it, which was just like um I watched it in the middle of doing this podcast after the episode when uh when Leland kills Maddie, Dana and I were like, you know, let's just watch Firewalk with me. So we just put it on. Um and when I watched it that second time I could not stand any of the Agent Desmond stuff. I was just like, <laughs> get this out of here! Like, this is just like Chris Isaac can't act. I can't uh-huh. deal with this. And then this viewing of it, I was like, oh, it's a, you know, I, I I landed somewhere in the middle on that stuff. But yeah. um, the 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 sort of back two thirds of the movie is just constantly.
0: I, I think it's a great. Oh, I think it's that's just incredible. Yeah, I think that's just amazing. I'm I'm I I'm also kind of like take it or leave it on the the Desmond stuff, although. I will say that this time, I appreciated it more than I did originally, where it, I saw it as kind of a distraction. It I held suppose.
1: together as one movie to me more of this viewing than it had in the past. I guess
0: I don't even know if I necessarily felt that way. <laughs> um, maybe I, but but I, I suppose so. Uh, I guess the thing that I that speaks to that that sort of reinforces what you just said, and that explains what I got out of it this time. And this is obvious. I'm sure everyone who watches this movie has the same observation. But the you know the Desmond stuff especially coming right after watching a bunch of Twin Peaks, which is not how I watched Fire Walk With Me originally. I watched the the full Twin Peaks series years ago. Mm-hmm. And then I watched Firewalk With Me like last year, I think a few months before we started doing the rewatch. And that was one of the things that had gotten Twin Peaks back in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, And this time I really appreciated it as – the weird, bizarro, oh, like the dark, like the, the weird
1: sort of like dark mirror reflection of yeah, Twin Peaks. you know, yeah. where
0: he's he's sort of Cooper, like in his sense of intuition and his kind of knowing glances and attitudes towards things, but has a lot less charisma. The world that he inhabits or that he visits. Is right. the It is the crappy version of small-town, rural American life. The shitty opposed- sheriff
1: who doesn't want the FBI there, the diner with nothing. Yeah. You want to hear about our specials? We don't have any. Yeah. Like, wh- yeah. While a
0: guy is, like, welding <laughs> in the background with sparks flying. I mean, just everything about it is less welcoming and less bucolic than than Twin Peaks. Even, like, this is, <clears throat> like, even the murder is,
1: like, like, Teresa Banks' pose, Laura Palmer is just, like, this weird angel wrapped in this right. sort of like yeah. iridescent yep. stuff. And then Teresa Banks, it just keeps cutting to just a person who obviously just had their life cut off like mid traumatic moment. And yep. you just have to stare at it over and yep. over and over again.
0: It really, the contrast between those two depictions of small town, American life really reminded me of uh, blue velvet, which I, which I have brought up on this podcast before, because I think it's one of the, one of the Lynch works that try, I mean that you can see a lot of, of different Lynch, Works in uh in Twin Peaks, both works that come before and after that series. But I think Blue Velvet. There's a lot of really direct comparisons, and one of them is that that movie shows these two different portraits of small town American life, in that film, both in the same town, you know, both these sort of idyllic aspects of it, which um kind of open and close the film, and then the the darker, less welcoming aspects of it, which um. Permeate the the I guess most of the movie and um, Twin Peaks the series ha- does have both of those in it but the darkness is more this like insidious supernatural darkness whereas the in Fire Walk with Me you get more of the mundane kind of just just kind of ugly kind of drabness of yep. of that of that kind of world and so it finally you get all of Lynch's um, perspective onto that stuff. Yeah,
1: in, in Twin Peaks, even you get you get glimpses of that in real life, but it's. More, I mean, there's Leo,
0: for example. It's,
1: yeah, it, it's more either that you sort of hear that it is happening, or that people's backstories are informed by that sort of events, or it's almost like you're sort of drive past it in a car metaphorically and you just sort of like get a glimpse into like a tunnel of it that passes by and you're like, Whoa, what was that? Yeah. But Like Twin Peaks doesn't, but it's, but doesn't it's like not
0: the the primary lens. Yeah, no fire, but fire with me just
1: across the entire movie, both halves of it just kind of bathe in it for the duration yeah. of it.
0: Speaking of which, so uh, I want to get into like the two kind of main chunks of this movie, but, but before, before we do that, do you, does it feel to you at all? Like the, the second, chunk of this you know the sort of twin peaks prime part is Mm -hmm. is set in a different version of twin peaks than the show is because it it feels it feels like almost suburban to me more than the show the show like the all the shots of the of the palmers or i'm sorry of yeah of the palmers street and their house like it just it looks so much more a little more upper class a little more suburban than Mm -hmm. twin peaks the show, like we never see the lumber mill, you know, we never see any of the kind of yeah. It's, um, it's weird because, because it, it, it seems like the only t- I guess there's
1: like there's there's two main sets, and it's inside of Twin Peaks High School and the Palmer's house. At least as far like then there's the like the, there's the cabin and there's the crazy yeah. disgusting bar. But yeah, it, it is all like everything's shot a little bigger and like a little bit more like just everything feels like it's in a more substantial town than it was in Twin mm-hmm. Peaks. So that, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, it might just not be the way that I end up watching stuff like this, but I, I see what you mean. Like it, it feels, it feels on a lot of levels, like Firewalk with me. It just kind of makes peace with breaking loose from the, from the exact details of Twin Peaks and doing its own right. thing. Yeah.
0: I mean, most obviously in that Donna is played by a totally different actress. Yeah, that's that was by necessity. No, not I, know, twice, I know, though. I know, but I know. But I suspect some of the things that I observed probably were too. There probably just weren't identical shooting locations and there were probably just things that were I think different. it's the
1: same house exteriors though. Oh, okay. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just shot in a different place entirely. I don't really know. It, it probably is. I might ins- be picking
0: the... up on something really like that no, I'm like, it, fabricating a no, little I bit.
1: Mean, it, it, well, it's, it's tough to know how much of what aspects of that were deliberate and how much of it just was yeah, because true. Lynch's sensibility was in a different place because like, it's <clears throat> not only are the locations shot differently, but they're lit differently. The pacing is different. Like the way that the characters act is just on a different level. I mean, it also, it's funny because I, like, I don't know if he was deliberately aiming for a more suburban tone or a more whatever, like you said, but it it does also just feel like it just is Twin Peaks portrayed in an undiluted way through like a filmic lens as opposed to a television yes, lens as well. It's like yes, everything, I the sense agree. of scale of Lynch's compositions in this movie feel like they're shot with an eye towards seeing them on a movie screen. Whereas the compositions in the TV show are always shot. It feels like for being on a, on a television screen, although yes,
0: everything's up more up close. Yeah, yeah. Twin Peaks is
1: striking for a TV show in a way that twin the TV show, TV shows aren't. And like, it feels like a very filmic TV show, but this is like, a definitive realization of Twin Peaks as a film in yeah. a way that the, even the most f- like quote unquote filmic moments of the TV show aren't.
0: Yes. And, and I think that that – you really get a sense of that right from minute zero, you know, second zero of the film because you immediately start with a full frame credit sequence that takes, you know, several minutes yeah. um, to introduce all of the sort of principal cast and crew against a this like abstract – Blue television static background that ends up being kind of a, a motif that deals with the Black Lodge stuff throughout the movie, which was interesting because it was totally new, like newly introduced to the movie, and um,
1: sort of the element of, of, kind of, of
0: videotape. Kind there's
1: of. This videotape, electricity, and sort of just the communication infrastructure that we have is sort of implied to be sort of somehow right. connected because yes. like, which
0: doesn't happen in the show at all, as I recall.
1: No, it, none d- it doesn't really, but people seem to like appear and disappear through phone lines and through electrical surges and through yeah. televisions. And like characters are often like just become distracted by like overhanging power lines or a TV that's on in the background or something in this movie in a way that they don't in the show. But I think right. it's really cool.
0: Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, to get back to the film, th- the film part, um, you know, like I, I was really struck by how much time he dedicated to just text cards on this abstract it's funny though because tw- you
1: just Twin, Twin Peaks, the show, also does that more than more than, it, most, more than TV most TV shows. shows but now but this feels still, like
0: the film version of that. Yes, it's even you know? more indulgent. Yeah. Not, I mean, that's not, that sounds like a negative term. I don't mean it that way. But it's but it luxuriates in yeah, well, the space and time that it has in a way that a TV show generally can.
1: You're able. He's able to use sort of like. <clears throat> classic Hollywood films had title sequences like that sometimes, but the way that, like, even Twin Peaks' title sequence seems incredibly quaint now. It probably seemed less quaint in 1990, but even still it was...
0: It's, I still, that's actually one of my favorite things to observe in, as a a choice in film, because it used to be so um, it used to be so prescribed, you know, like, the Directors Guild of America, whoever it was, had these very strict rules about how you had to credit at the, you know, the, the four of a film, and then you know, so on and so on. And now at this point we are sort of past that as star Wars was like one of the big examples that broke from that convention. Um, and, but now it's a director's complete discretion as to how that stuff is employed. And I find it really interesting when directors of their own volition choose to still employ the full frame, like completely front loaded credit yep. uh, sequence, especially like a, a cards only credit sequence,
1: basically yeah, one that yeah. is not, a motion graphics montage yeah, or whatever ex- exactly. else. Exactly. Like, Fincher
0: style thing or something. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Anyway, so moving on to the um, the actual content of the film itself. Also, I'm sorry. I should have apologized for this from much earlier in the podcast, but I have a cold, as you can maybe tell from the nasal quality of my voice, the stuffy, bassy thing going on here. Um, that's why the podcast is a little bit late if you're uh, keeping up to it. Uh, keeping up with it on the RSS feed or on iTunes. So I'm sorry. That's why I sound kind of weird. Well, you said we should get into the big chunks of it. But I mean, starting with the credit sequence is probably
1: the most logical place to start because the TV static that is the sort of the weird sort of abstract TV static slowly zooms out and then speed ramps up and you're immediately shocked as all hell when an axe goes through a television or a bat or whatever is a big blunt object because we're immediately cut into Teresa Banks's murder.
0: Well and there's also on top of that there's also the slow sultry jazz music. Man okay which I I, I want to talk from, about that for half a yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. because
1: I often find Bad Lamenti's music in the TV show to be a bad fit or to be like just incongruous or strange but maybe just because he was able to to score to time for the film I thought that the music in Firewalk with Me, fit so much oh, I more totally naturally. Agree. Yes, and like it still uses a lot of the tropes of yeah, the show, and it, it does. even
0: occasionally literally uses cues from the show. Yeah. Oh yeah, the main but, theme was like, identical. It's, it's still even and used in some really great ways. Yeah,
1: it still even does the crazy things where, like, there's a scene in this where Laura is singing along to the non diegetic soundtrack. Yeah. Like where you just like the ambiguity of do these characters hear the music or not? Like all the same general sort of structures of how the music is used is the same, but it it, it just like it plays so well in this movie in a I way that it doesn't in the show.
0: I completely agree with you. As someone who like
1: And even just know, starting right off with the opening of with the saxophone yeah, and then just gets I know. killed well, a, by yeah, the TV it's, getting it's smashed. It's a really
0: great um bridge from the finale of the T V show where we have that there's the the under the sycamores yeah. song. Um in the you know there's a, it's just a really it's a really great Bridge, And then there's more Julie Cruz singing yep. oh, in this. We also, movie. when
1: we get to the end of this episode, I guess is when we can talk about it, but the, the sort of the trajectory of coming off of the last episode of Twin Peaks into Fire Walk With Me worked for me on the whole in a way that I was not expecting it to
0: like, um but we could, we'll just. I mean, I would say that goes even to the really odd choice of one of the things that makes this. A strange film, if you haven't seen Twin Peaks, is the movie opens basically after the axe, and you know all that stuff with Teresa Banks's body. And then a subtitle that says Teresa Banks.
1: I I it's, think that actually works regardless because it makes really? it seem it almost feels like a
0: documentary the way those title cards come up. That's true, and it, including the choice of this like bold italic, yeah, uh, with, like, with like the the, 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 the sort of
1: block shadow cast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it looks which is which they used like a news broadcast. Yes, or something.
0: that's how the that's how the title of the. Of, that's how the name of the film is styled in text, in, mm-hmm. and that's how all the credits are. And it's very striking because it doesn't look like anything that was in the TV show.
1: It's actually the same typeface as the Twin Peaks logo, I think, yeah, but, but that bold italic and italics. Yeah,
0: is to makes it a completely different stylistic choice. Yep. Um. <clears throat> um. So okay. So, but yeah, after- just that that wide sorry that wide shot of Teresa Banks wrapped in plastic,
1: rolling down the river, and it just says Teresa Banks underneath. It feels like it's a depiction. Of, like, a famous murder that captured America and you're watching the film, that's like, true. adaptation of that's it. Like, true. that's what it
0: feels like to me, where you're like, oh, that's Teresa Banks. I was, ba- I was Banks, baffled by it. I was like, what is this? Is this, like, are we watching news footage? Is this the movie telling us something? What is, this? I I don't know why. For some reason, I got really hung up on that and I was completely
1: confused. I, I love that shot. I feel yeah. like, because you're just, it,
0: it It makes you sort of think, is this
1: real? Like, that was the, like, the way that my brain reacted to it, because it just felt like a documentary portrayal of it. It yeah. was so
0: strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So so after this, we're basically plunged right into kind of what I called earlier the Bizarro Twin Peaks, where you have an FBI guy come to a small town and, you know, Gordon Cole is there yelling at this guy and, <laughs> you know, and just the way he does. And there's just
1: – Well, there's the complete insanity of Gordon Cole saying, get me Agent Desmond in North Dakota. And then it shows like him at that, that school – the school bus bust. And then uh-huh. he flies into the yeah. airfield. So there's yeah, all like
0: yeah. – That's true.
1: All of that stuff also just feels like the most expensive version of Twin Peaks that I've ever seen. Of, yeah. Like the
0: shot inside of the cockpit of the airplane and stuff. Anyway, whatever. And then we go from the like sort of sultry jazz of the intro to like the Battle of Menti shuffle yeah. jazz stuff right back there. And then there's the crazy – there's Lil and her weird like communicative dance, which I don't really understand what the point of any of that was. Um, who are they hiding this information from? Are they suspecting? I absolutely,
1: I absolutely don't care because yeah, it's like this is like the most like there's there's some sort of more subtle stuff about Gordon Cole as, on Twin Peaks that I liked because he just was able to be on the show so much in the second season, like a surprising amount. That like all the weird stuff with him and Shelly and stuff, but this was sort of the most extreme, outrageous. Version of the stuff that I really like about early Gordon Cole, where it's just like you are just a bizarre, bizarre man, and you're like he has his own methods, and he runs this weird, weird collection of agents, and like I yeah. just I don't know I don't yep. I don't care about the meaning of that scene at all. I just like <laughs> totally just like David Lynch's version of what the FBI is like is apparently this is how a coded message is sent, mm-hmm. uh, and like whatever it mm-hmm. was good, yep. um, but also you know yep I don't know like just all the things that because that scene has Desmond and he meets God, what's Keeper Sutherland's agent. Sam? name? Sam. Yeah. Cause those two characters meet for the first time there and then they're in the car together and they start talking about like Gordon's blue rose cases, which I imagine are things that could potentially pertain to the black lodge, I right. guess. Right. But like, I just, I like when, t- when the show goes so far in on steeping itself in that stuff in a way that like, it works for me more than a lot of some of the goofier stuff does. Right. Even though, I mean, than, other than, the, than some other goofier stuff sure. does, I guess. Sure. I
0: don't know. Um, yes. I was. This all, this all made me imagine what it must have been like to have been a Twin Peaks fan seeing this movie when it came out and having stuck with the show for all this time, and then your reward is like, it's kind of like Twin Peaks, but it's different people. That must have been such a strange. experience. I know that's well. That's the other the
1: other thing about this whole about the the first half because the second half doesn't have uh, Donna. It has a fake Donna, right? And the first half basically has a fake Cooper, and that is because Kyle McLaughlin right. wasn't going to yes. be in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were like, "Fine, we're just going to do it with this new character, Agent Desmond." And then McLaughlin showed up, but they already had Chris Isaac cast, and they are they liked that stuff. Um, and it it definitely makes it feel. Strange. I can't imagine what this would be like with Agent Cooper as yeah, this character. A, yeah,
0: it would be. A t- I mean, I guess he would have been investigating that. that
1: yeah, he, I guess he would have. Yeah. It, and as as much as I dislike Chris Isaacs' performance, I also don't know if I can imagine <laughs> that the sort of bizarre, sort of mirror feeling of all of this whole thing yeah. being as strong with I, Cooper yeah, I, being I know, in it. I know what you mean. That said, Kyle McLaughlin and Kiefer Sutherland would have been awesome together. I think, in a way that that
0: like I. Keep, <laughs> That's <'cause>, probably true. <laughs> Um, but there, there's, there's definitely a lot left on the table there with the kind of oddball, uh, they like sort of like eager Kiefer just, Sutherland. Yeah. Im-
1: imagining that. agent Cooper's enthusiasm for that guy's strange mannerisms just feels like such a lost thing when like he gets excited and just pours coffee all over himself and all that stuff, like or whatever, whatever's going on in yeah. that
0: scene. Well, there's a funny kind of like almost, um, sch- schadenfreude going on with, uh, with Chris Isaac's character as he sort of like smirks <laughs> when, when Kiefer Sutherland's character <laughs> spills the coffee. Yeah. That almost makes it look like he did that on purpose. Right. Like yeah. it's a weird, it's a weird yeah, dynamic it's, those two have. It's,
1: it's all, it's all very strange. This, this part of, uh, firewalk with me also feels the most like, um, late, later twin peaks to uh-huh. me, especially because of Kiefer S- Sutherland's character,
0: him being this sort of, basically just weird doof in a way that other, like, yeah, there's the moment where there's the moment where after the sort of, after Chris Isaac's intimidation of the sheriff, his first intimidation of the sheriff sort of occurs. Keeper Sutherland's character sort of catches up with him. He's like, I figure this whole office, this whole office furniture included worth about $27,000. Right.
1: Okay. okay? (laughs) And yeah, that it's the kind of character that I feel like, Peyton, all- Peyton and Engels like writing more than Frost and Lynch right. like yeah, writing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and man, sorry, I keep right. I keep digressing from talking about the specifics of That's these okay. scenes, but especially in this in the first half of of Fire Walk With Me when the times when this movie is that it's sort of weirdest and least correctly working for me, are times when it feels like David Lynch is directing David Lynch fanfic, almost. And I don't know how to... I, I I should have written this down more, but there are times, especially in this first half, where characters say lines of dialogue, or they have mannerisms that feel not quite right, but because they end up going through the lens of David Lynch's brain anyway, they come out feeling like a David Lynch thing, but it just, like, it, 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 it just feels... Watching the movie after doing this podcast and after watching the entirety of the run of Twin Peaks made me want to read up a lot more on what the heck happened with the creation of this movie because it's it's obviously co-written by David Lynch. It's directed by David Lynch. It feels very much like a David Lynch-directed movie, but I know from other David Lynch movies and even from the earlier like the pilot of Twin Peaks and the first couple episodes of Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. that there are things in this movie that just would not exist had David Lynch just come on board to do it instead of it being like respecting the heritage of what's already in Twin Peaks and sort of having it. there's more in this movie from late run Twin Peaks than I really remembered there being, and that I and more than I would have expected there to be i guess even in terms of just some of the quirks of the characters that are in the movie and not just the imagery although there is a ton of late run twin peaks imagery in the show as well but just (coughs) the way that the way that characters attitudes work in ah, i'm sorry i'm talking without without having enough specifics to even talk about it so maybe i'll maybe i'll come back to this sorry (laughs) okay sorry chris that's okay uh
0: all right so let's see what else i mean one of the things that was kind of I don't know. This is not a grand observation about anything. I I thought it was funny that there was the continued emphasis on the importance of coffee uh, in this whole first part. There's the old old shitty coffee in the sheriff's office and then the demand for a, a fresh pot. There's the coffee in the diner that Sam spills on himself and then there's like the incredibly strong like super coffee offered by the apartment manager who ends up being one of the few kind of ultimately like – helpful characters in this town who also ends up being paired with this like amazing strong coffee, which clearly right. is a mark of virtue in, in <laughs> right. <David> Lynch's universe. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was funny. All that yep. stuff. Yep. Um. What else is there? Uh. There's, Oh, one of the thing that I, I noticed generally in this that I think is a, is a hallmark of David Lynch and a lot of his work is a fixation on close up services and materials. Um, most grossly teresa's fingernail um it's that is a that is that kind of thing with fingernails is among the most difficult kind of thing for me to watch (laughs) on on screen just not just in this movie that that like (coughs) fingernails
1: coming off and teeth coming out are just like that like Subsection of body horror is
0: just oh, yeah, like, where your nerves are like the most intensely.
1: Oh! And oh. he uh, he just goes for it with that stuff, like just it,
0: but all there's. The- there all- are also close up shots of like wall fixtures and just other like materials and surfaces. He loves that stuff, yep. He also, he's he, this movie.
1: Um, I think this movie actually, because I saw it so early in, in my experience with Twin Peaks, informed. A thing that I often think about when I think about Twin Peaks, but it is only in the David Lynch episodes I think, which is, and it's in his other movies as well. But it's it's it, it's like a, a landmark of Twin Peaks for me is his ability to just point the camera at an, an innocuous thing, usually an innocuous man made thing, and just make the shot be unsettling and mysterious and feel like there's yeah. more going on. Or like he he'll he'll often. Drive it home by having a character be distracted by that thing, but like this movie has just like,
0: or by characters. a really subtle character motion or push. Yeah, like the, I mean, the, the, the like someone will
1: just look up into sort of the corner of their room because something is up there that's bothering right. them, and the camera yeah. just points at it, and you're like, "What is that?" Yeah, or the like
0: ceiling fan, most notably.
1: Yeah, but there's even there's there's shots. I think I think it's Laura just looks up at just sort of the place where the wall meets the ceiling by the window in her bedroom. It just yeah. is like,
0: "What is going on up there?" Yeah, and he's but, almost capturing the feeling that happens with people when you're in a waiting room or your room and literally nothing's happening. And you yourself just get transfixed on some totally mundane thing for reasons that you can't even explain. The the most
1: extreme version of it is in Teresa Banks's trailer park, the way that he keeps having those power poles with the numbers and the warning signs just in the foreground or like a character's eye will just settle on them or he'll Mm. establish. And it's like, it's just literally a, a power pole with a rusty sign on it. But just the way that he like, slowly draws the camera down onto it and settles on one aspect of it or always has it in the background behind someone or like you know and i'm sure that those are there because of the sort of plot connection i guess that keeps being alluded to between like electricity and the power infrastructure and the way that sort of you hop in and out of existences inside of twin peaks but just the shot that I actually always remember from fire walk with me because of my first viewing is just that basically nothing shot of the power pole with the yellow sign on it. And the number six, like it's this movie's version of the ceiling fan from the pilot for me, even though the ceiling fan is also also in this this movie and is handled. So we can talk about the ceiling fan later, but Mm -hmm. whatever, just like the, the shots of nothing that just are so unsettling in this movie are so good.
0: Mm -hmm. I totally agree. That, that's that kind of fixation on mundane things, I think is an instinct that can, lead to really powerful shots and, and really, like, significant imagery and can also, when left unchecked, mutate into the kind of number theory lore bullshit that can then be warped into what Twin Peaks kind of became for a while in the TV show. You know, the sort of, like, obsession that insignificant things are actually very significant can right. be taken to a gross place.
1: Because I don't think Lynch is even necessarily saying that they're significant. No, I, no, I don't either. I just right, think— Right, but then, yeah, you end up with these, like— <clears throat> Over, over dramatic shots of like something reflected in a cup, cup of coffee as if that's symbolic or like a thousand and one cutaways to an we owl in the woods. We never talked
0: about the final shot of this, the finale of Laura Palmer's face. In the cup of coffee.
1: That was the most meaningless thing that I've ever seen. I hate it.
0: But don't you think that we've, we've failed in not yes. at least mentioning the fact yeah. that after every episode showing this, like, iconic <laughs> portrait of her framed, it ends with that ridiculous thing?
1: Yeah, it ended by – Twin Peaks ended by falling up its own ass, not in the insanity <laughs> that David Lynch directed in that episode, but in that stupid shot of Laura Palmer's face reflecting a cup of coffee.
0: <laughs> but, yeah – I mean, that's kind of honestly sort of almost what I'm getting at with this focus on the mundane. It's not the same thing as what you're talking about, but it's like coffee is a really powerful thing when it's sort of just this background element that characters in the show for some reason seem to prize Mm -hmm. more highly or or treat in a more special way than people in most people's lives do. Right. But then when you start – Getting too fixated on that, and then it turns into a pseudo supernatural or like whatever that's supposed to be. Who knows what that's supposed to be? But that that's that's when that instinct goes too far. Well
1: when I mean, it's like the reflection in the cup of coffee that Cooper loves is also the reflection that you see in the whatever Glastonbury Woods that shows the lodge right. and Laura Palmer, and it's all connected, and right. all these yeah. mundane things are at yeah, yep, Farts. but um, whatever, uh huh, yeah, that. That um, – the whole Teresa Banks uh, <laughs> autopsy scene – or not autopsy but a sort of investigation was just same as everything else. You never see that with Laura. It all takes place off camera but actually right. getting – I mean I guess it doesn't but it's so – Well, it's just, just so much spread more.
0: out and like intermittent. And
1: like admittedly actually the scene in Twin Peaks when they wedge the tweezers into Laura's fingernail and pull the letter out Is gross and totally unsettling, and not even a thing you'd expect to see on TV. But then this one, where they just rip the
0: nail right off, is so
1: much like so much grosser. It's
0: but (laughs) the 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 Laura Palmer one makes you cringe a bit, and this one I actually have to like look look away, look away from the screen. Yeah, Cronenberg esque. Um, All right, so do do you have any other kind of specific or general observations about the whole Desmond thread? Um, This is a tiny thing, but like.
1: I, and this is the tiniest thing, actually. I like the diner was called Hap's Diner, uh-huh. and it was sort of this—you know—the alternate <clears throat> this town's version of uh, it was the Deer Meadow version of uh, of the Double R. And I really like that it got its own Twin Peaks early season neon sign, but it was just of a horrible clown, and like half the neon <laughs> lights were turned off. Because <laughs> yeah. that was such a Lynch thing in early Twin Peaks is that every location was represented by a neon sign. The Double R Diner Mm -hmm. had the two huge R's um, Mm -hmm. that they added on. one Eye Jacks had its sign. Um, I feel like there was at least one other place that had a neon sign, and I can't remember what it was. But, like, I feel like that was such a thing in early Twin Peaks, and I was really happy to see that back. But it was just, like, the the most off-putting, horrible thing of this, like, red and blue clown that had fallen apart. Um, (laughs) Also, then... um, There's the welding and the light flickering and stuff. But I really uh like that that scene ends with someone just saying, how's it going with that goddamn light? So, like, (laughs) it was only like that because there was a light bulb that was on the fritz. Right. Um, Which I guess also means in Twin Peaks lore that the Black Lodge is near or whatever else. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. Um, Yeah. No. I I don't know if I have a whole lot. um, I mean, there's more, but I guess we next get into
0: the Philadelphia Bureau stuff. Yeah um you want to talk about that i don't think there's a ton to say about it honestly i don't like this part you don't like it no you can tell me why it's good i don't know if it's good um <sighs> i to me it feels okay he'll only just tell you why i'll get my thing out of the way right won't yeah take you can't just say i so, don't like it and not talk about it i wasn't planning on not talking about it i was just okay i'm gonna front load it now since you like it i think it's better to end with the person who likes it more so um david lynch intended all this stuff with agent philip jeffries played by david bowie um and, you know, Cooper and Cole at the at the Bureau, um, I don't know what he intended the continuation to be or what the context of it was, but he, he intended that to be further explored in the two additional Twin Peaks movies okay. that he originally intended to make. And when I learned that just a couple of days ago, um, it totally made sense to me because I find this to be – borderline meaningless. Like I I guess it's Jeffrey's explaining where he's been and he also like went through some kind of crazy black lodge experience, but I I found it to without the anchoring that so the the um all the black lodge red room whatever stuff in the finale and I guess if you go all the way back to the original the long form pilot um that stuff obviously is difficult to parse in the specifics and so on. And I think that's totally fine. Um, I like I, – I think it's stronger that it's – that you can't draw all the one-to-one connections between, you know, like specifics of plot and so on and and, and all the imagery. But but this stuff I found to be such – I found to be so adrift in this weird mosaic of cross-fading imagery that I I just didn't – I couldn't make heads or tails of it and I wasn't sure what I was supposed to be getting out of it. And whenever I get to this part of the movie, I, I always just kind of, I'm unable not to kind of just let it wash over me. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, the part of the scene that I
1: don't really care one way or the other about is basically when Bowie is screaming and we get the crossfade of the static and all the characters laughing and saying things over each other. But I think I like the, I like I like everything before that basically just because I think it's just a well done strange moment that feels like some of the weirder stuff in Twin Peaks to me where Bowie says today's the day that I – that like he's reminded of a dream that he had or whatever he says but it, like today is I think the day that he had a dream about it. And then he does that strange test with the security camera and then ends up going back and seeing that there is right. another him in the camera that the other character kind of walks past – and I, I mean, I don't know what any of that means. And I hadn't I – had, hearing that it, hearing that, that stuff actually was intended to be explained further in a later movie makes that stuff worse for me rather than better, which is funny that that makes you be like, okay, well, at least I understand why it's
0: in the movie. No, no, that doesn't make me feel that way. That makes me feel that it shouldn't have been <laughs> – like I feel like if it, if it wasn't intended to stand alone, then it shouldn't have – I don't like the – I don't like seeding stuff in a movie. It's different in a TV show when you know there's going to be more episodes. But I, right. I, don't, I really don't like the – Film when filmmakers put things in movies that are intended to be not explained until later movies. I think yeah, it's lame. I,
1: I guess it, it, the thing that, the thing that I am not into about it is that this, all of this stuff implies, or I mean, I guess states by way of just being inside of the film that, that sort of the Black Lodge and sort of blipping out of existence and stuff has been. Explicitly on the mind of not just Gordon Cole but Agent Cooper,
0: right? Since bef- before, before Twin Lord Peaks, Palmer, I, yeah. I don't like that aspect of it. I also don't like that it incre- it uh, it increases the like range of this stuff so far beyond Twin Peaks itself that I don't even know what it means anymore. That there's like some weird presence in Twin Peaks, yeah, because it seems like this is just everywhere and has more to do with these characters and their involvement to this string of crimes than it does. I to- guess,
1: yeah. The, the thing, the, place, the reason that it doesn't bother me that much is because it does seem like there's, like, some element of if your life crosses, like, I guess the David Bowie element of it is, is the part that I don't really like, but I really like Cooper's involvement with it and him have, just having this strange, inexplicable <laughs> event that happens to him in his office at the same time as the Teresa Banks murder is happening, more or less, um, and a year before he's going to go to Twin Peaks, just having this really fucking weird day in the office where he sees himself on a security camera and it's kind of like a dream that he had and he tells his boss about it. And then the next time that we see Dale Cooper is really unrelated and when he goes to that town. Like, I like all that stuff. The thing that, like, the thing that bums me out about it is that there's this other agent who disappeared off the map and then shows up and starts screaming about how he's in this place. Like, that That feels more like the Wyndham Earl type stuff to me as far as just, like, everything is
0: connected for no reason. Yeah. But- you know what I do like about it is how panicked Cooper's face is. That we we so rarely see him in mm-hmm. that mode. We see him, you know, angry on occasion. We see him, like, puzzled in a determined way. But we very rarely see him in this mode of just complete unmoored panic, and there's a look on his face when he's looking up into the video and then going in and observing it, and then in the office as Jeffries comes in, where he is he is so lost, and I find that kind of interesting. Yeah. I like I like that his character is not just like eternally unflappable.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, that that all tracks. But I guess for me, the reason that I kind of like the scene, especially after coming through the entire run of Twin Peaks and seeing the last episode, is it feels to me almost like. Well, a thing that sort of happens in Firewalk with me over and over again is this: the notion of the things that happen inside of the Black Lodge, kind of the tentacles of it, like the tendrils of it, come out into your life outside of time. Where Laura gets, Laura has those dreams when she puts the painting on her wall, that like Annie appears, and she's like Cooper is, uh, Cooper and her have these weird connections that don't exist inside of inside of linear time, and I liked. This stuff with Cooper in the Philadelphia office because it felt like inside of Twin Peaks, if because you're a person who sort of if you're a person who crosses into like the sort of the weird darkness that exists in the heart of Twin Peaks, if you actually touch it, basically, if you're like your life just is sort of corrupted across its entire existence not just afterwards like i kind, of, i like that sort of like if you're a person who's fated to end up in this place it sort of it ends up exploding out not into your future necessarily but also just your whole life is basically just disrupted and i like not from a like lore standpoint or anything i just i don't know i i, I thought it was yep. just it's that that effect of it felt right but the part where it tries to like widen the story and widen the universe. You're right. I just, I just sort of phase out of watching that part of the movie.
0: All right. So you want to move on to the, the third, the like sort of most expansive section of the film in twin peaks itself. Yeah. Um, I thought I, I love this stuff so much. I think it's so good. (laughs) I think there's so much amazing. Uh, there's so many amazing scenes and it's, it's such a just horrifying, terrible descent into, the whole Laura Palmer nexus. I think it's incredible. What do you think? I I also think that, um, I I love that it starts off with the twin peaks sign and the twin peaks theme. It's like, anyway, here's, here's, here we are. Twin peaks start now. And it is a,
1: it is a different version of twin peaks than we've seen before. Although it's also, I, I don't know if it's a different version of twin peaks than we've seen before, as much as it is like, if you were to take the entirety of Twin Peaks and then do like an iris close on one tiny facet yes. of it and yeah, then just yeah. like through that lens the light that shines through is like 3000 <laughs> times more intense, you yeah. know? Uh-huh. Like it's, it's it's not that the it's not that what happens in Firewalk with me doesn't happen in Twin Peaks the show. It's just that it happens for a couple scenes every now and then and yeah. whereas now we're just like you're just going to bake in it for mm-hmm. an,
0: a really Horrible yeah.
1: hour and a half. Basically, yep. we don't
0: in the show. We don't ever delve into any one any one character's interior life for as long and as deeply as we do into Laura's in this. Yep, in this movie, and
1: it's it's a it's a situation where you like you sort of are like every element of this is kind of traumatizing and shocking or horrible to watch or just depressing and sort of fills you with despair and. It's not stuff that, that you would ever explicitly see in Twin Peaks, but by the end of it, you're like, well, of course, that has to be exactly
0: what her life was like right, to create course.
1: the situation that creates Twin Peaks. Like, it yes. couldn't have been anything but this, but now you have to watch it.
0: Right. Yeah. Twin Peaks opens with, obviously, the the evidence of a gruesome murder, and we learn that Laura's life is disturbed but nothing in Twin Peaks really is as disturbing Maddie's as, murder, Madeline Ferguson yeah, being
1: killed, is the closest thing that has a flash of what Fire Walk With Me is yeah, like.
0: Yeah, that's true. But but there's, but there's even that is like sudden and shocking. Yes. Whereas, whereas Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me depicts the sustained like slow motion disaster that inevitably leads to – to all the events of Twin Peaks, and that is so much worse because yep. it feels it feels so like it's just like the steamroller, you know, just yeah, like, slow just but completely unstoppable. All of all of Laura's stuff with her father is the is
1: even like it's 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 funny because the Leland that you see in Twin Peaks Firewalk with Me is not really the Leland that you see in Twin no, Peaks, uh-uh. but. That actually makes it way worse for me because what I, when I see Leland at home and how he actually is with his kid and with his wife, when they're just a family together having dinner, like, I'm sure they have better times than we see in Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, like, this is what probably, the like, the average to, like, slightly downtime in Leland's crazy manic-depressive life is. But you know that he then gets in his car and goes to work and just fucking smokes a cigar with Ben
0: Horn and jokes about how they're going to just, like, you know the like... Yeah. This is not how Leland is all the time, but this is just. Well, there's what, a moment this. of that when he he, I guess, as Bob is, uh, caught by Laura in her bedroom, and then she runs outside and sees him it, walking outside. And he's like, adjusting it, it, his co- cufflink. Yeah, he's just know, going to he's just going to the Great the Northern to his stupid loft, office, wherever yeah. it is, to just
1: be, the like lovable sort of businessman Leland
0: that everyone yeah. likes. But like, man, a oh, man, like the that stuff that stuff tracks to me. The one that is like a little. Stranger to me is um, Sarah Palmer because she she seems. I mean, so we see in the film like more, much more concrete evidence that she is drugged by Leland. Well, you
1: explicitly see her just give know, her no, drug, no, drugs. I know. I'm just. Yeah. I'm saying yeah. like
0: that's suggested in the show, and here we we get evidence of direct, more direct evidence of it. Um, but even when she's even when she's fully lucid, she is clearly disturbed and terrified at what's going on i mean when they're just at dinner she is on edge in a in a way that i mean as that actress has i mean is has always in the show as well been so incredible at doing she brings a level of just unsettled tension to to certain scenes that's but but what do you think about the fact that she it almost seems as though she knows that something is going on, and yet in the show, it's it's so long. Yeah, until that's
1: it's that's that's, that's the that's off. the part that's sort of hard to deal with, and is yeah. the part that that you have to sort of just treat Twin Peaks Firewalk with Me as just like a thing that sort of hovers over the top of like of Twin Peaks, and it's like it's not it's it it doesn't exist linearly on the line with Twin Peaks quite yeah as 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 it should from a pure plot standpoint because just like. Sarah Palmer's read on her family means that she should probably suspect Leland. Uh, Donna goes to that crazy nightclub with Laura and sees these people who she should clearly be able to identify as suspects in her murder. Bobby fucking kills a guy. Like, there's stuff that happens in this movie that just, like... There are more pieces in Firewalk With Me that you should be putting together as far as where these characters are in the pilot than than are. Like, it just, you know... Yeah, so... That said, I don't really mind because I think if they had held themselves to the exact rules that would make this a perfect prequel, it wouldn't have been able to work.
0: I agree. I agree. I, agree. I sort of – And a th- lot of that stuff can probably be – like you can talk your way out of it if you want. I mean you could say Sarah Palmer maybe was a, was aware or at least had some intuition about this stuff yep. but could never believe that Newland would actually cross over to murdering yes. their daughter. Here's my like crazy
1: kind of analogy. Yeah. Um, if Twin Peaks is a linear line – Let's, let's say Twin Peaks is the belt, and Firewalk With Me is the belt buckle. Okay. It is not part of the belt, but it is the thing that connects it together in a loop. <laughs> okay.
0: There you go. Yeah, that's Works that's that's my analogy. The belt buckle of the of Twin, Twin Peaks belt. Of the
1: Twin Peaks belt, yes.
0: <laughs> Put that one on the box. It's fine. When they release the even more complete mystery after the Showtime there's a, series. There's a
1: quote from David Lynch. Says, I would say this is
0: the belt buckle to the Twin
1: Peaks belt, and it is a great
0: belt. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um. Yeah. So, so anyway, like if you, if you are willing to either sort of um, accept those weird little wrinkles or if you're willing to sort of just intern, like as I kind of do a little bit, sort of justify them by, by your own. The movie
1: also kind of does like where Donna wakes up from that thing and is like, you know, I don't even remember getting home. And like when Bobby shoots the guy and Laura's laughing, like you shot. Mike, like, yeah. and then it's like, are they actually just drugged out, and they didn't kill a guy? Because then yeah. you know she's like Bobby. She says Bobby killed a guy, and like yeah. what? And goes, oh, never mind. Like right. it just
0: sort of. Well, and in the pilot, they make reference to like someone getting killed. Do they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I, don't I don't think remember they that say, at all. I would say it's Bobby, but yeah.
1: So. Yeah, I, it just there's there's all these moments that are so heightened and so specific to where those characters are. Basically, the day before the Twin Peaks pilot starts, and but everyone is in such a crazy heightened or yeah. weird otherworldly state almost that it, it or they bottle up what's happening you you yeah. can
0: you can there's also another thing that you know most of these characters are teenagers or, you know supposed to be teenagers and th- there is something different i think about the way you perceive time and and like heightened moments in your life when you're a teenager when every moment lasts about Ten to a hundred times longer than it does when, as an adult. At least that's the way I feel. Well, a day and, is
1: just such a bigger percentage of your yeah, life when you're fifteen. Exactly, and, when you're and 30. also
0: like the way there's a lot of interesting neurological science that suggests that teenagers actually experience things differently than they like. B- before parts of your brain have fully matured, um, your memory works differently. Your memories are more vivid. Um, time you perceive time like in a before your life settles into a, a routine, you actually perceive time as a longer. Uh, thing anyway um i can kind of imagine when i think back to my teenage life and think back to some of the dumb shit i did like some of these sort of illegal things or, or just like stupid things that could have gotten me like either in trouble or seriously injured um it it really honestly when i think back to it it feel it really does feel like actually a different life like it really feels like different a different me that experiences i never experienced anything as fucked up as obviously as what right. goes on in twin peaks firewalk with no, me but nonetheless all, all those experiences i can imagine are like a
1: different person's existence that at a certain point yes. sort of becomes sealed but then it also does that that weird sealed other person becomes planted in the ground and grows into whoever you are as an yeah, adult and but, exactly. but there is and, a phase right. change that and, happens yes exactly and yeah. even
0: though the time that elapses between twin peaks fire walk with me the in universe time between that movie and the events of the tv series is obviously quite small it's a matter of just like days really um despite that um i still am willing to buy that these that Someone like Donna, Donna's character is not—you know, she she has to sort of push herself to like she has to like psych herself up to to take this detour into really into the depths of Laura's world. And after she came back out of it, I'm totally willing to buy that she is not the most reliable witness, um, you know, to connect all these pieces after the fact. Like that must have really felt like a dream to her. And I, I I don't think you need to go too far to understand why. Her character is is not necessarily like producing suspects. No, that's and, true you know. because, like,
1: by the time by the time um, Jacques Renault enters Donna's cone of vision, she is not on planet Earth, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I, I, I also, man, I wish Laura Flynn Boyle had been Donna because the bummer? the actress who plays Donna in this, like, Donna's experiences in this are so different than Donna's experiences in Twin Peaks, the show. So right. it, it's like... It would have been interesting to have that contrast. Yeah, like yeah. having a different actress go through them. Like, I think she does a, a good yeah, job with it. Fine. She plays yep. a, a different side of Donna because Donna's experiences are so <laughs> different. But man, I wish it had been the same Donna going through those completely insane experiences. It would. I, I remember hearing ages ago that the reason that Laura Flynn Boyle didn't want to do it is because it had a topless scene. Huh. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but I, the way that... Um,
0: uh, the, the Laura. I
1: what's the name of the actress who plays Laura? Sharon yeah. No,
0: that's Aubrey. no. Sh- uh, Cheryl. Cheryl Cheryl Lee. Cheryl. Cheryl Lee. Cheryl Lee. Sorry.
1: Yeah, the way that she plays seeing Donna just like pushed over on a table with her shirt off and yeah. goes and covers her up is so good. Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah. But S- speaking of that, um, uh, Cheryl Lee is absolutely goddamn incredible in this movie. I think. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think she is the standout. I mean we well, get there's a lot of time dedicated to her in also her and Ray Wise are the only two
1: top build actors in this film. It starts off by saying Cheryl Lee and Ray Wise in Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, also starring the entire cast of Twin Peaks and David Bowie and <laughs> right. like Chris Isaac and <laughs> right. Kiefer Sutherland. But yeah. whatever. F
0: I mean, those well, people. They, Cheryl Lee and I mean, Ray that's Wise. That's great because build. neither neither of them are A list actors in the Hollywood sense, but they they carry this movie. I mean they're amazing. Yeah. Like they it's it's crazy to think that in the How how it makes sense that David Lynch was so impressed by Cheryl Lee that he essentially created the character of Maddie to justify using that actress more, Um, because we don't we just don't get as much of her acting as we do some of the other characters. Uh, Certainly not with a big range because Maddie is in in a lot of ways you know has a fairly limited role. but oh my god, she's incredible yep. in this. Again, coming off the last episode of
1: Twin Peaks, and just seeing those tiny blips of Laura and sort of doppelganger Laura or whatever. Yep. Even those where she goes from sort of ethereal to completely just yeah. nightmarish, All of that stuff comes back times a four hundred billion. Uh-huh. Plus, her just being a, whole, a, a fully realized human in yep. uh, just a person in the, in this movie It's yep. really good. Absolutely, it's amazing. Uh, so, um, how, how do you also? This is Goofy. But the guy who plays James kind of learned how to act in this. He's better in this movie <laughs> than he was in. Yeah. His like two scenes in this are so much stronger than anything in Twin Peaks. It's
0: still James. Yeah, that's true. But
1: like, there's there.
0: I don't know. Maybe. I mean, we we do learn that. I mean, yeah, you're probably right about that. Um, although in a general sense, James, Bobby, and Mike are still all total goobers. Oh, so yeah. all total, they've always been lame. We learned. There's
1: just like a little bit of subtlety to James's performance, yeah, 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 and sure. like. It seems like he has more going on in his brain as a character, even though he's still just a a doof yep
0: <sighs> poor james um so so how do you what <laughs> well how do you want to talk about this um there's uh how do you feel about the relationship between Laura and Leland um because I really think this movie suggests. That there's a lot more of, a lot more of Leland slash Bob's actions in you know like as de- either directly depicted or alluded to in the entirety of all the Twin Peaks material. This movie to me suggests that Leland is to blame for more of that than maybe we are led to believe halfway through the well then we're led to believe when Leland dies in the Twin Peaks Right show. because
1: I think that the read on the the way that Leland is depicted in Firewalk with me tracks a 100% to the way that Leland Leland and Bob's relationship is depicted in the show up until they explicitly state that that is not what it is. Right. And they let Leland off the hook where Bob basically right. possesses him and says it was me, Bob because it, it it's always it always felt like especially in the scenes around around Leland and Maddie like when like Bob was a catalyst for leland 's worst instincts and yeah. sort of the uh-huh. the sort of the, the the damaged or just straight up malicious or just otherwise in sort of I guess bad as a shitty word, but elements of Leland 's psyche and Leland 's personality. And not that just like a switch would flip inside of Leland's head, right. and he would just lose that control. Leland and become is otherwise a just
0: a virtuous person, who yeah, is physically manipulated. Yeah, I, no, I, I agree. Like, you know, I mean, even like
1: that's clear, even just in like the things that Ben Horn values in Leland as a person. And when like his old buddy Leland is back, is when Leland is like conniving. Here's this like exploitative business scheme that's going to get you on top, and it's going to ruin the lives of a bunch of other people. Take that. Like, obviously,
0: Leland has things in his personality that They're are useful in that way to some people, but also yeah, uh, distressing yeah. yeah, So,
1: like, I, I thought that it was so much of a stronger take on sort of what Bob could be as far as, like, not literally just a stupid, murderous, serial killer ghost. And more, right. like, Bob can be just a thing that is in you as a yeah. person, as a metaphor. Right. Like, yes. That you then because Twin Peaks is insane and about going into a crack in the universe and seeing that stuff explicitly with your eyes great he can manifest as a thing but like right
0: it yeah, brings B- it back Bob is like it brings the it back counterweight to-, to the better angels of our nature yeah i mean yeah uh, angels i guess who also just thing. show up as <laughs> angels <laughs> potentially in the show but, yeah uh, uh, so this is this is what i meant when i said last week and you said you disagreed that i felt that twin peaks offers kind of a different like lens of interpretation of the of this like core dynamic of twin peaks and i guess what you're saying is you think that it's actually the same general interpretation there's just one moment in the television show that that. i I think that
1: moment in the television show is the moment when twin peaks starts steering itself off a cliff and missing the point of itself because i feel like i I totally agree uh, so you you, i guess like it
0: but that's kind of the last word in a way
1: It is, except that the literal last word is David Lynch taking over at the end of the last episode of Twin Peaks, which I feel the last episode is Lynch trying to assert himself and bring a bunch of that ambiguity back into the read of what Twin Peaks is. But you're right. There's a point in Twin Peaks, in the text of Twin Peaks, where a character explicitly just says, I am a wacky serial killing ghost who possessed (laughs) this man. Goodbye. Right. Which, like you can't reject it because it's in the show, but I think that David Lynch rejects it by way yeah. of like, every time he's back at the helm, steering as hard as he can away yeah. from
0: that. I totally agree. And I think that there's evidence of that in the finale of the show. And this is the, anything that happens, I think in the red room is open to interpretation because it is so vague. And, and, and I think that's a good thing, but there is a moment when doppelganger Leland says, I didn't kill my daughter. I didn't kill anyone. Or, I didn't kill anyone. Right. Yeah. And I, and I, and, you know, who's to who's to say if you can take that at face value or not. But I do think that to your point that there is a bit of Lynch in there trying to steer us away from the completely literal Bob as ghost murderer right? Um, possessor. Uh, and I, I, I think that I, I also think that it's it kind of cheapens if you're going to if you're going to make a show th- whose central uh. You know, catalyzing violent act hinges on themes of child abuse and incest, and uh, you know, and and uh, power and murder. I think you kind of do those themes a disservice to reduce them down to and a ghost made you do it. Like yeah, it, I, I think that I think that it is if you actually are going to deal with that stuff in a way that like means anything. And I'm not saying that Twin Peaks is like any kind of comprehensive parable about about child abuse. But but I I think that it is much more interesting and much more resonant and much more terrifying to think that there is a part of Leland Leland Palmer himself that made it easier to push him into this than just any other random person who who maybe yes. is a little better and adjusted. I, I think
1: that's going on in this movie really, really heavily because I think Bob I mean Bob Bob, as an entity, explicitly says that he basically wants to enter and sort of be manifest in Laura. Yeah. And I think for her, like, obviously, it is literalized because Bob is an actor and who has, like, corporeal form in the show. But Laura's fight against Bob is also just – I mean, obviously, this is not a clever observation. It's very obviously also just her – trying to keep herself st- from steering into the same path as whatever has happened to her father and sort of yeah you know de- dealing with that and it like she ends up sort of making a really shitty choice that, uh, to to I, I it feels like it's I, her being murdered ends up also kind of being a choice on her part in a little in yeah. a tiny way at the end of the yeah even the though movie. she's tr-
0: she is trying to escape yeah but but you get the sense that there so we we okay so sarah and i watched this movie obviously again on sunday before the podcast and she she sort of posited to me the rhetorical question like does laura have does laura possess the agency to get out of this situation like is she able to control her destiny to any real degree like she's making she makes objectively bad choices in in terms of like putting herself in the path of bad people in bad situations, but does she it, does she actually have any real ability to change her fate? And my like the way that I felt, you know, when when put when when that question was put to me was, I, I think both yes and no. I think that she does in fact herself make choices that reinforce her situation. I mean, she does put herself in harm's way. Not that that not that these things are her fault. Like not that. You know, people should be blamed for other people taking advantage of them. But she does sort of engage in this world um, herself. But nonetheless, like the things creating the larger situation are kind of out of her control. Like it's unreasonable to expect a teenage girl to – when confronted with a domineering abusive father who um, essentially – like exerts this kind of terrible power over her from a young age, it's sort of unreasonable to expect her to be able to alter that course, you know, like of her own volition in any way that's going to change her larger situation. Um, and I think that that's a really powerful combination of of things, like that, that she is in a situation that is not of her own making. And partially because of that, um, she ends up herself making choices that make her situation worse. Right.
1: Yep, I yes, I I that totally totally tracks for me. Um sorry, I'm looking up notes that I wrote about the the uh the stuff at the very end of all this stuff because there's when Laura is being killed, there's this like all the stuff with Mike chasing after them and yeah. Laura ends up putting on that ring that has the owl cave right, thing that, on it. Yeah, that comes up a few times, yeah. I don't, I've never entirely understood the meaning of the ring, but am I mistaken that she ends up, Mike has it on earlier and Mm -hmm. he gives it to her and she puts the ring on and that seems to make Leland slash Bob incredibly displeased with what's going on, right?
0: What? what? When does he give it to her? Doesn't,
1: isn't, I thought that, or does she just get it out of the dream? Cause she, she puts the ring on right at the, right before she's killed or she takes it off. Man, something involving that ring happens right at the end. Um, and what I wrote now I now I'm doing this podcast a disservice by not remembering it in extreme. I mean detail. when she
0: gets it in the ring, she it seems as though she wakes up, but then she wakes up again for real and doesn't have it.
1: Right. But then she sees it on Bob's hand, um excuse me, on Mike's, Mike's hand, hand yeah. when Mike is driving by right. and yelling yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in that crazy scene with the with the car. Um but
0: uh I mean she also remembers it being on Teresa Banks' finger.
1: Oh it's it's at the at the very end Um, the angel appears, uh,
0: Oh yeah. And she puts on the ring. That's right. Yes. Runette
1: is pulled out of the car, out of the train car by Mike and he throws the ring in off of his hand. Laura puts it on and then Leland, and then, uh, Leland screams, don't make me do this. Um, and I didn't know if that was like. I think he says, don't like make if, me do if this. that
0: in itself was sort of an invitation and that's why Cooper says, don't take the ring.
1: Yeah. Um, and like, is that, and Leland saying, don't make me do this. Is that in regards to just whatever it means that she's decided to put, to put right. that ring on that you yeah, got from yeah, Mike, yeah. which is like, yeah, I imagine is supposed to sort of be a symbolic representation of sort of rejecting whatever's going on with that stuff. And sort of like, yeah. but, or if that's literally Leland is saying, don't make me, kill my daughter i'm being possessed by a murderer right, which i uh, imagine it's not because it, it the way that the way that the way that ray wise says don't make me do this doesn't sound like it's like my hands are being puppet mastered it sounds right. like he's he's like because <laughs> he also has all leland has all of the realizations right then that laura wasn't even seeing him for himself
0: when he was doing these things and he thought that she was kind of complicit in some of his actions
1: right like he says
0: I thought you knew it yeah, was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that stuff was terrifying. Yeah, Jesus, oh my god! All of that stuff, all, everything that has to do with the relationship between Leland and Laura and their identities and how they see each other is so incredibly terrifying. It's unbelievable when the 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 moment the various moments actually, there's a few where Laura. Like tells herself, no, it's not him, or says, Oh my god, it might be him, or like has those fears confirmed, are so like I'm getting I I'm I'm literally shivering thinking about it right now. It is they are so distressing and so disturbing. Yeah. It's horrible. It's horrible. Oh my god. And then, you know, <laughs> during then on top of that, you get Sarah Palmer's just like crazy bundle of nerves thing going yeah. on. That like Ugh. the scene when Laura is when Laura and Leland are in the car,
1: and there's the just like everyone's taking forever to cross the street, and the car is moving really slowly in front of them, but then Mike shows up and starts screaming what <laughs> sounds basically like Lodge lore at them, like right, he's just yeah, yelling, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's yelling, red will tear or whatever. Yeah, he's, like. he's yelling all the same sorts of stuff that shows up in the on the weird Lodge scenes with Bowie, I think. Um, but that's just there. It feels like because. <laughs> Because Lynch likes having cacophonous noise stress you out because what really seems to be the inexplicable man yelling that has the ring that Laura saw from her dream obviously is a part of the scene that is making her not know what to do. But the thing that that seems like that's more just like the exacerbating factor on the fact that she's looking at her dad just like do the Ray wise like red faced sweat <laughs> white knuckled just like rage. And like honking his horn at the car, yeah. But it's but then when he's doing all of that stuff, what Leland is actually thinking about is like his rage is not really about the traffic; it's about um killing Teresa Banks and seeing yeah and seeing
0: uh yeah we get all those flashbacks seeing Laura yeah. and
1: uh mm-hmm. man I Runette and Runette Pulaski together and knowing like because Leland also just knows all that stuff yeah which uh-huh. I,
0: like I know it's crazy.
1: Which, um, obviously, he has to, to some capacity, because those characters we know are all related. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, Laura seeing something in her dad's face that she obviously is beyond road rage, but not having any idea what it is and just being completely freaked out.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, man. My my favorite part of that whole that whole weird extended scene is when he parks and he's like, are you all right, Laura? And she just screams back at him, dad, are you all right? Yeah. It's cr- that Like, her... <clears throat> the way she plays that yeah is so good it's so good yeah
1: oh. you don't even like you don't know how conscious Leland was of how he was acting or if he asked Laura if she was all right like to sort of be like a shitty like just failed strong dad cover like I know that was intense but I'm gonna hide how I was acting by asking right. my daughter if she's all right and she was just like
0: ah uh, what yeah. like are you kidding me yeah 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 the that although' flashbacks to Teresa banks and Leland's you know indiscretions are are a pretty Good and sad mirror to to Laura's own life in the sense that uh, not only was she kind of further engaging in this world that that was her downfall, um, so was Leland right. himself it's, it's, making these bad choices that kind of inextricably t- inextricably tied him to this stuff. Um, it, it's really yeah the the, those two sad.
1: characters like them, yeah their lives not being as far apart as you'd think. Yeah, and the I mean the reason that Laura ends up being killed in part is because. They are so literally connected, and just yep. like by, just yeah, the the sort of darker sides of their lives end up actually. Like, it seems like in a lot of ways the film is saying that this happened because they literally touched that moment when L- when Leland was seeing Teresa Banks, yep. and ended up walking past the hotel room and seeing his own daughter with another woman, yeah, both of whom were obviously just the same, like. Running in the same shitty prostitution circles, I guess through Flesh World magazine right. uh, and and uh, Jean or Jacques Renault, mm-hmm. but like Leland doesn't know any of that stuff. But like,
0: yeah, it, which is uh, also like weirdly connected to his employer. Yeah. If they don't like really discuss yeah. in the movie, but it's but all that stuff is definitely yeah
1: like it
0: one those are big, those are all the parts circle. that like
1: I I really actually think the firewalk with Me, even though it gets some of it, it goes off the reservation with some of the, your expectations for where characters line up and how the mystery lines up and stuff. It, it does do a surprisingly good job with a lot of those threads of completely staying true to the insane, crazy soap opera web of Twin Peaks and not bringing explicit mention to them, but you, when you watch Firewalk With Me and you see these moments that are actually really horrible, you can go, oh, well, of course that's how it had to have worked given all the things that are in Twin Peaks, yep. but I never would have thought, I never would have pictured this is what it would be. Right, And in that way, I really like it as sort of the crazy heightened filmic weird slice of Twin Peaks. But, you know, just seeing those three characters in that dumpy hotel together mm-hmm. and seeing Leland there, we're like, oh, yes, it I don't think about it because I think of the Leland who I'm used to in Twin Peaks. And it's so shocking when he kills Maddie. And then I know intellectually that that means that he killed Laura and that mm-hmm. is tragic. But now you're like whoa, that does mean that he was trafficking in prostitutes and that he was visiting mm-hmm. the place that Teresa Banks was and that he was running in the same exact gross circles that you yep. know Laura was running in. But hearing it versus seeing it explicitly and experiencing it yep. in the weird emotional level that, that it's conveyed in the film is just yep. its a different
0: experience. Yep, for sure. Um, I, <clears throat> if you, uh, I, I think we should talk about just generally speaking um, the imagery and stuff that goes on in Laura's room um, because I think that is some that is some of the like strongest points of direction in it's, the movie. It's also the best connection to it's like
1: some of the stuff in the third episode of the TV show where where Cooper sort of very f- first sort of starts touching and sort of like scraping into the weird world of the red room and of sort yeah. of this this stuff I, there has not been. That element of Twin Peaks conveyed as well as the stuff, starting with Laura doing the Meals on Wheels thing, meeting the um, the Tremonts. Is that the name of those? The Chalfonts?
0: Whatever. Oh, the, wait. which, which the, the, the,
1: the old woman and her grandson. Yeah,
0: the Chalfonts. Okay, whatever. The,
1: yeah. So, the, the, seeing them and whatever. The kid has a mask on his face because it's the movie and Lynch decided that was what he was going to do, I guess. I don't know the meaning of that. But those characters showing up, meeting Laura... Um, and just the things that the boy whispers to her mm-hmm. are so good to yeah. me where it just like the, cause <laughs> she learns the explicit connection between Bob and Leland because he says, man, what does that kid, what does that kid say? It's just such good, like Twin Peaks mystery language where it's like kind of, kind of like the weird sort of plot that you would get from a weird clue hand- handoff in a, in a detective movie or a noir or something, but it's on this weird ethereal David Lynch plane and it, it only makes sense in sort of vague dream logic or things that you would only know subjectively. Mm-hmm. Just the most obvious one is when he just says he is under the fan now, but you're like, right. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. But like Laura knows what that means. We know what it means. Not just because, but like the kid saying he is under the fan now is so good because that image is so potent yep. and meaningless. <laughs> you know
0: exactly what it means. Though. But
1: just like it touching and like that dawning on Laura too of just like what, um, mm-hmm. uh, Um, But then, obviously, they also give her that painting and say, I think this would look nice on your wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But just that stuff then folding into the crazy time-convoluted
0: multiple dream within a dream outside of time stuff. Yeah, that is so good. That stuff is so good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um, Yeah. uh, So, all right. So, just in general, I think there are some really – some really, really good – okay. Well, that painting is is great for one thing. Just the way that it sort of becomes – a Rea- set. Reality yeah, becomes a set. That's, it's it's that's basically great.
1: Laura's Laura's entry into the red yeah. room.
0: Basically, well, there's a great moment where she sees herself in the painting, and then from there, the, herself in the painting sees herself in bed, and we sort of switch perspectives. That's like the of second. The that's like the
1: second one too, because the first, at first, she just looks at it. And just the act of her looking at it brings her into it. Cause the next shot right. looks like it's a close up of the painting, but then the camera just moves and you're in right. the space and then she's in the room. Right. And then it's when she leaves, she sort of starts leaving the space. Then that's when she looks. And then that's when it sort of folds into yeah. that weird second dream.
0: Yeah. And there, there's some, there's a, a way that David Lynch shoots horror that I think is so powerful in, in these scenes. And an example of it is, so th- this is, this is part of that whole sequence where Cooper is there, tells her not to take the ring um and then we see in bed there's like this bloody, blood-covered Annie, you know, saying, My name is Annie, I've been with Dale and Laura, the good Dale's in the lodge and he can't leave, write it in your diary. Um and what what I love about the way Lynch shoots this is that Laura just goes with this. And this body is in here, and she receives this information, and then suddenly she looks back, and Annie is gone, and that's when she screams. Yeah, like I, she doesn't scream when there's like a bloody woman suddenly. When, when she I screams that, when too, she disappears.
1: It, it it feels like that's when she sort of awakens from the first dream of the sort of two dreams that are in this, where like because right. it has that dream state where you're just like weird things are happening. I just, the but story that, that my brain that is, is when telling she goes me goes into the painting. I know, but yeah. it's, like, the body disappearing though is I think when she when she has that first realization of like. The, the, the body that's appearing being the screen felt so like dream like accurate to to dream perception I yeah.
0: me yep for sure and there's there's another like even more there's another much more distressing version of that when um she is when she's in bed and Bob climbs in through her window and as as is often the case with Bob we get this just slow shot of Bob just climbing over an object in this case climbing through a window and there's no like horror movie sound design going on. There's nothing like playing it up. It's just this focus on what he's doing and, and you know what he's going to do. And that makes it terrible. Um, and what is, what is really crazy about it is she basically doesn't react um, like in an explicitly negative way for until like he's in her bed and like she, she is still just there until she gets a flash of him as Leland and then she screams. Right, And that, that like everything going on there is like just, just horrific. I mean, um, the way that, that Lynch like does this kind of delayed horror, um, I think is really powerful and, and really, really effective. Yeah.
1: It also, yeah, it, it, yeah, it feels real, not just to dreams, but also to your brain having to catch up with the complete, crazy thing that it's trying to process that
0: last one probably isn't a dream it's just like her perception of reality yeah i yes sorry
1: i didn't i didn't mean literally just that it is a dream but sort of the thing that happens to your brain when it dreams or when it gets input that is so incongruous with what it expects that it takes yeah that it takes time for for your conscious thought to actually unpack everything that's happening
0: Mm -hmm. do you want to talk about the red room stuff at all yeah. There's sort of not just the Red Room, I guess, but the extended that universe, which includes the, the child fonts and, the you know, all that other stuff.
1: Yeah, I like. Sure. It's weird that, like, there's no way to make 100% sense of any of any of it because <coughs> it just it doesn't seem to exist in line with anything that has ever happened in the show in any capacity. Like Cooper is just there. Right. Yeah. You know. And-
0: uh-huh. Well, I mean, it does. It does sort of. Present it as a place out of time, right? The, yeah, the, I mean, yeah. yeah. Annie showing up in her dream and right. just del-
1: and it looks very much like the Annie that is dragged out of the Black Lodge in the right. last episode. Where she's just I think the, it's supposed to be, yeah. It's literally that that, yeah. that Annie with a bloody face just mm-hmm. says she she basically gives end of like gives Twin Peaks season three spoilers to Laura. Effectively, I mean, not right. literally, <laughs> but just yeah. if you are that's the only explicit mention of anything that happened in the end of season two. Mm-hmm. um but it is very explicit.
0: Well cuz yeah, cuz the movie is ostensibly a prequel. So yeah. of course there can't be a lot of references to that, but in this place there can be. Yes. What do you make of the of the notion that the the sort of dwarf character, the man from another place is Is Bob's arm or Mike's iron arm? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh well, well that is one thing and he I mean that's made pretty explicit because he puts his hand on where his arm goes.
1: I like that a lot, even though it's completely
0: n- nonsense. But yeah. like, sorry. Well what, what do you make of, of the of the notion that he and Mike are essentially trying to put a stop to Bob because Bob took this like pain and sorrow, this like Garmin Bozia corn stuff for is like sort of uh, essentially uh, Bob who went off the reservation and is like out of step with whatever the weird hierarchy of this world is. And that's why they're trying to rein him in.
1: I didn't really care about it in in any particular way. (laughs) Um, I hope that the literalness of that does not come into play too heavily in the next version of twin peaks, because it's fine that we get strange glimpses of weird stuff happening. And like David Lynch, I guess loves that handful of creamed corn uh, in the, in that one episode of, of, of the middle of the show. But like that stuff felt, more explicit than it needed to be. So yep, I was glad that I, I was glad that it was all said in a way that was also basically inside sort of, of a obfuscated. character's dream. Yeah. yeah uh-huh, because I, uh-huh. because the quest for creamed corn would be a really sad situation <laughs> to land in, in a uh, future twin Peaks yep, stuff. Yep. Um, but I, that, yeah, it's funny. Cause I know also from the forums that I think some of that stuff was a thing that Lynch personally did like, but that um, that Peyton and Angles, I think, were more into a sort of a weird running joke that then explicitly ended up not as a running joke, but as sort of as a concept that right. ended up in this movie explicitly and it it felt like it was in this movie explicitly in a way that – I don't think Lynch would have done had he been on his own, but I don't really know.
0: Yeah. I, like, don't even, de- I don't have a handle on that either. Cause I, I do think that the sort of naming of it as Garmin Bozia, that seems like something Lynch would weirdly like. He seems like yeah. the kind of guy who would like to make up an actual name for that. And that, you know, again, that's one of those instincts that left unchecked can transform into yeah, sort of it, a lame it, lore fest.
1: It runs the risk of being able to unpack into plot. right? But I think, Watching the way that it's presented in Firewalk with me and the way that sort of just the movie itself treats it 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 seems sort of nebulous and ethereal enough that it's okay, but if you stick yeah, like you said if you stick on it for too long, and keep talking about it, you make it real and then it's not great right and like it yep. this
0: touches that edge yeah. And- yeah once you like sort of collapse the possibility space of what could be going on, you make it sort of less magical <laughs> like, yeah you know like and once the- once you turn it into something that can be wickified, like mm-hmm. then it's It's kind of not special anymore, almost. The way to solve that in Twin Peaks, though, is to just never talk about it again. Yeah, it's true. That's just a thing that popped up two times, basically. Yeah, Yeah.
1: and it's okay to me that there are sort of – there's this notion of sort of a push and pull of forces inside of that space. But I I always picture it as being more like that, more like it is just sort of a weird tidal force awash inside of that space that is like supposed to be a representation of the way that – people exist in reality but when it gets literalized too heavily it gets cheesy Mm -hmm.
0: um this isn't within the red room but it's kind of connected to that whole mythology i really like the moment when leland is leaving the motel where he he sort of turns away from the from from the deal after seeing laura and uh and the kid whose name i can't remember if we know but the you know whatever the kid is just like scampering around behind him in the mask. And Leland kind of sees him and like turns to look at him for a moment and then just keeps walking. Yep. I love that weird little intersection of that, of that mythology into this, into this backstory. Oh,
1: I guess to, to that, to that point of sort of, I mean, Bob is very clearly a, a force that is manifested mostly in the negative. He, he yep. shows up when people are murdered, but I liked that Lynch dives headfirst into this crazy cast of characters that exist in this universe but made no real specific mention of i guess man you're right i the the cream corn stuff is the time when their motivations gets mapped which i guess does kind of bum me out because through the rest of this movie except for that one mention the old lady and the kid and mike and you know the 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 man from another place and bob and all of the sort of Various casts who kind of have doppelgangery forms. And Cooper, they all just exist in the same room, yep. whether it's the sort of weird boarded-up wallpaper room or the Red Room. And there's no Black Lodge, White Lodge. There's no, like, counseling between right. those people about, right. their, about w- what their intentions are. And you have things like the kids scampering around when Leland mm-hmm. has just done, like, heinous stuff. And, I, it, yeah, it, <laughs> thinking about that now, I'm really sad about the fact that there is that explicit call-out to— to Mike and the and the cream corn and mm-hmm. Bob stealing it and whatever else. Right, right. Because I've never really minded and I've actually kind of liked the idea that Mike and Bob are kind of these two forces that are opposed in the world. Right. But well that were once clearly that were once aligned, aligned and sort of yeah.
0: split. uh uh-huh. Um I like that too. In and that's the
1: fault that's the yeah. fault still tracks in the way that Mike shows yep. up in the world, mm-hmm. or I guess Gerard, whatever. Uh, yeah. anyway.
0: Yep. No, I agree, and and I I think it'll be really interesting to see where that goes in season three. Um, do you have any other big observations about this movie? No, I mean
1: we 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 definitely have jumped over. There's a, the whole thread with with Bobby and with Leo and Shelley and oh, that's true. I don't know how much we need to talk about any of that stuff, uh, and
0: you know, I mean that stuff. Those are the things that are least revelatory. Compared to what we already know from Twin Peaks, those are things essentially that sort of. I know that those things are in the scene m- a little bit, yep. but they track already to what we know about those characters. Yep. Um, I was really g- except for except for Bobby killing a guy.
1: Yeah, but that even that didn't seem to have consequence in the movie, other than sort of fueling other weird moments. Yeah. Um, if there's anything from those that are that are relevant to talk about, we can also save them for next week because we're going to talk about the missing pieces, which is way more Twin Peaks supporting cast. That's true. Stuff. Yeah. Um. My only note is that I was really happy to see Waldo
0: again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yep.
1: Good old Waldo. Poor Waldo.
0: True. Poor Waldo. So, so in conclusion, uh, we like this movie. <laughs> yeah. I guess is the verdict. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's a really good capstone to, uh, to Twin Peaks.
1: There's so much stuff that we didn't talk about. I feel like we could almost do – more about well, it's fine. I don't know if I need, we talked about we talked about all the stuff that was the most important and non-obvious, I guess, because they're just Laura being murdered was such a like you know whatever uh, it was. You mean that scene? Yeah, that yeah. scene is.
0: What do you make of that angel stuff? I
1: don't entirely know because yeah, like, Laura know. has the painting on her wall, yeah, and she also, ta- she also talks. She also has that line that she talks about. She talks about angels protecting him and how there aren't any or whatever, right, yeah. and um. And she sees that vision after it disappears from her wall and, like, seems to find comfort in it. And then sort of – it seems like that angel shows up and then Laura does make a couple very conscious decisions that frame the specifics of what's going to happen to her in that moment. But just in terms of taking the ring and sort of – it seems like she sort of faces her dad when he kills her and stuff. But, like – I don't really know what to make of it. I think that that's one of those things that there has been a lot written about both from a lore standpoint and from a thematic what Lynch's right. intentions could have been standpoint. And I don't have a super strong grasp on it. Yeah. Um,
0: I don't either. I, I think that I it's it's easier for me to approach from a sort of Lynch imagery thematic standpoint than from a literal one. I guess just because not, we're, we're not as much sort of Black Lodge lore scholars or what, whatever no, that is. But, but I
1: mean Lynch also has – more specific meanings with that stuff than he lets on even when he gives interviews or than what looks like what happens on the surface there's often a lot of really not cheesy but pretty literal connections with a lot of that stuff that you don't always notice until you watch right i just think that that's different times. i think
0: yeah that's true i that's definitely true but but i think that the reasons he chooses that image rather than another one to achieve the same thing is something that is more that probably is more subconscious for him mm-hmm. i think that he has a fixation with kind of quaint americana not to say that angel imagery is is american but there is a there is a sort of midwestern mainline protestant like americana right like version of religious imagery that, that i think
1: that that presentation of an angel could also be a like unglazed ceramic figurine on someone's yes shelf. exactly
0: yeah. that could be on nadine's shelf right you know i mean like i, I think that that kind of thing is something that that is deep within David Lynch's.
1: So like even that painting that's on Sarah uh, on Laura, Palmer, Laura Palmer's wall. Well, yeah. her bedroom looks like her mom decorated it, and she just grew up in it. And right. just like that painting, it looks like something that well, Sarah Palmer yes. thought was nice, and, and, also, and then it has meaning to Laura because it's just been in her bedroom wall her whole
0: life. Right, and you, I, I think one of the sad things about the angel disappearing from the painting is that you could imagine half of Laura Palmer there is a half of Laura Palmer the one who was the prom queen and exists in that photograph and that everyone in the town remembers fondly that Laura Palmer you could imagine eventually growing up and being a sort of like uh twin peaks mom who ha- who buys people birthday cards that have angels on them and who right. you know like who th- that 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 is the life that she clearly steers away from but like but just given her upbringing and her background and the, some of the more surface elements of her that were the ones that were more obviously exposed to people who didn't know her that well, that is the that is sort of the life that that she is not fated to grow into, but that in less terrible circumstances she might have. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't I don't think that, that that is like what David Lynch is saying by like having a physical angel show up in the boxcar at the end of the, the movie. But right. like but I think that that but I think the choice of that particular imagery is related to that lost part of her life and there's there is some part of her that is that as you suggested earlier like with the taking of the ring is sort of accepting her destiny a little bit or or trying to like take control of it in some way and and this is the the version of self that that maybe she's she's trying to conjure at the end of her life
1: right yeah, and even if, even if the ring has no mythological anything but it's just sort of she keeps seeing it related to all these things in her life and just like, this is now going to be a thing that I take for myself, even if it's just nothing basically yeah. picking a thing up off the floor. Um,
0: so I'm sure that there are a million things that we are not observing about this film or that you disagree with uh, or, or have additional insight into. So if you have uh, thoughts on Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, the movie in particular, uh, please email them to twinpeaks at idle And next week we are going to um Respond to a bunch of listener mail about the movie uh, as well as discuss some of the deleted scenes known as the missing pieces which were released in kind of widely accessible form for the first time on the Blu-ray set that came out last year.
1: It's I think the only like real way that you can get this stuff and – I've obviously never seen this stuff, but I guess the Twin Peaks: The Missing Pieces is ninety minutes of footage cut together by David Lynch, like properly scored and edited and stuff. So it's not just a bunch of loose. I mean, I'm sure it is a bunch of loose scraps, but it's a bunch of loose it's a scraps rough that mixed. But it's roughly mixed. But yeah, yeah, he because he like actually premiered it as a at a theater that he had. Yeah, like uh-huh. so. It's it's you know it's yeah, it's weird. It's it's weird, but it's also hard stuff to get to. So we're combining. That which we'll talk about including just conveying what was in those scenes because right. not everyone's no way to watch
0: this stuff. We, yeah. will, we will try to just speak to some of the things that are included.
1: But it's also gonna kind of become part two of our firewalk with me discussion when we do a bunch of reader mail stuff. Exactly. And that. then so... the week after that, I think we're planning on just doing a few more little weird Twin Peaks cultural scraps, maybe, and any other sort of final thoughts, reader
0: mm-hmm. mail from you guys. Yeah. So if you have if you have thoughts about Twin Peaks firewalk with me send them to net. but also if you have broader thoughts about twin peaks as a whole or any other component of twin peaks uh, also please send that to any anytime between now and you know a week from now and we will um, go into those the, the in the following yep. episode that it's is about general response that is
1: Idle Thumbs i d l e yep. t h u m b s dot
0: net, which is the website on which our podcast is hosted. Yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, so that'll be fun. Um, and uh, I don't know. I guess theoretically, if someone, if if we get some really brilliant ideas for another bit of of blood to squeeze from this stone for another episode, maybe we could. Maybe we'll do that. I don't know. Right now, it seems like probably two two more episodes. Yeah, I think, I think. I think.
1: Next week um, – also, actually, this is a thing that's maybe worth mentioning separately from that, but if they're – separately from Firewalk With Me feedback, but if there are just pieces of Twin Peaks ephemera that you know are yeah. out on the internet that are worth watching, send those in as well, and we can just make a viewing list for the final week of the episode. Yeah, that like, cool. Things I mean, like the coffee th-
0: commercials, yeah, the like, Japanese coffee commercials. Or like,
1: I, like just – The SNL skits. SNL stuff, Sesame Street. Like there's also yeah. – um, some TV shows that have done Twin Peaks stuff, like mm-hmm. whatever. Any like we could put together a reading list we can put on or a viewing list we could put on the forums. Yeah. Um just of like weird ancillary stuff. Might as well just yep. watch all the goofy crap that right. that, that <laughs> fell out of Twin
0: Peaks. Yeah. Um I mean, especially if it's easily watchable without yes. having to buy more things. That would be great. Yep. Uh cool. Well, uh this has been good. Um please please send us your emails to twin peaks at Um You can find us, as you probably know by now, at TwinPeaksRewatch.com. Thanks for listening to all this stuff. It's been really, really fun. I've really enjoyed doing this. Um, Me too, Chris. Oh, good. Looking forward to our our wrap-up episodes. And I'm looking forward to coming back and doing this again next year. I guess. Man,
1: there are now we I don't know if we explicitly talked about this. I almost no, did at the didn't. beginning of this episode, but not only as we said last week is Lynch confirmed to be back on board for the Showtime series. So it is now a full Frost Lynch production, but the number of episodes has gone up to 18. To 18 episodes, it went from 9 to 18. I have incredibly mixed feelings yeah. about that. Yeah. Um because Twin Peaks is a long, Twin Peaks does not have good history with it
0: suddenly going longer than it was projected to go. Right. Um, the difference being, though, that this will have been known in advance. Yes. Scripts will all be written at once. I assume <laughs> there there will be a, a specific arc with a beginning and an end, which is a little bit different. Yeah. Than, my, than my, it, my
1: completely uninformed suspicion about all of this is that they that Frost and Lynch had ideas for how this was going to work, and then when the rubber hit the road and they're like, we're going to enter pre-production on Twin Peaks. They went, whoa, this in practice is going to end up being a lot more content than we thought. And Showtime said, uh, what if it's only nine episodes? And who who knows if that's actually what it was. But the fact that this came back from Lynch walks from nine episodes of Twin Peaks to Lynch is back and he's happy and it's 18 episodes. It feels like that must've been part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think it probably was. Um,
0: I'm, I'm still excited about it. I, I, I'm going to enter into this, um, assuming that that it will not be the best thing i've ever seen on television but i'm basically optimistic mm-hmm. that there will be cool lynch imagery and cool lynch frost kind of arcs uh so uh, whatever i think it'll be i think it'll be interesting to for us also to revive this podcast as not a re- well i still call it twin peaks rewatch but but as not a rewatch but rather a week by week recap i guess twin peaks recap
1: we're not calling it we're that. not gonna
0: call it that uh anyway, thanks for listening this far. Um we will uh I really look forward to reading your thoughts on the movie next week. Please send them in. Um twinpeaksrewatch dot com is our website. Goodbye.
1: Bye, Chris.